This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. We know the 76ers have a bona fide group of all-stars. The proof is in the numbers. But for the Sixers to get where they want to go, it's going to take more than a couple of players. From Shake Milton to Matisse Thibel, Danny Green, and Dwight Howard, we look at the impact of the rest of the roster. I'm Devon Givens. I'm Lauren Rosen. I'm Brian Seltzer, and on this week's Friday Deep Dive, we discuss what it means to be a role player and who on the Sixers has been stepping up. Tough one for the squad in Rip City on Thursday night. Fun game, dramatic game, close game, exciting game. Obviously not the finish the 76ers had hoped for, especially the way that final inbounds play went down. But onwards we move on the Friday Deep Dive. Guys, we know it's very well established that the 76ers have three elite-level, potentially three all-star-level stars in Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Ben Simmons. But for any good team, you got to have role players, guys who flush out the roster, contribute, do some of the more subtle things that are essential to helping take a team to where it wants to go. In this case with the 76ers, that's an NBA title. We'll look at role players. And I think let's start with a sampling of who your all-time greatest role players are to you. Ones that you've seen, ones that you've loved that played for a team that you rooted for, ones that you despise because they played for a team that you rooted against. Memorable role players. Devon, why don't we have you lead us off? Uh, I I love this. Okay, so I'm going to go to a different sport, if you guys don't mind, all right, because... Uh, with the role players, as I look at the role players, and we'll define how that goes as we go along here, but I'm going to the sport of football, Celts, so because there's so many players on the field of play, 53-man roster, and we know about the practice squad and how, how important they are. But you can be a role player but still have a meaningful impact in a game a lot of times in whatever sport it is. But I'm going to former Miami Hurricane and former who should be a hall of famer i don't think he's there yet we just know the hall of fame class was just announced i'm going with devin hester as the kick returner punt returner sometimes they use him as a wide receiver his speed allows him to also play corner which was really his technically his position as a football player but what he was able to do as a special teamer technically again a role player but still be able to have that label as a star in this league where he was all pro pro bowler and again mentioned as a hall of famer and you look at that and you talk about a player like that but still having a a a big time impact on the game of football for devin hester so that's where i'm going to start i hope you don't mind me drifting off into the sport of football and away from basketball for a second but i was such a big fan of devin hester and I, i could not sit here and not be honest with you guys and go that is one of my all-time favorite role players in sports love it love it think it's a great pick all right lauren to you i'm gonna sort of stay in my lane and 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 go basketball here and and my answer gets into the question of, of what is a role player but i think throwing it back to the beginning of quarantine which crazy enough was about a year ago when we watched the last dance and we talked about the chicago bulls and one of my favorite things about watching that documentary was getting 
more of a view into what those role players looked like. And I will consider Dennis Rodman a role player on that team because he wasn't the first option. He wasn't the second option. He played a very important role very, very well. Yes, he was an all-star. Yes, he's a Hall of Famer. But I still would consider him an all, I'm sorry, a role player rather. And then Steve Kerr is another one that I would cite. More of a traditional, the mold of a role player does one or two things very well and is dependent upon for that skill. So I think I'm going to have to go with the two of them as my favorite role players, let's say, of all time. I think those are great. Totally in the realm of basketball, Steve Kerr, especially for me growing up and watching those bold teams right at the top of the list. And yeah, when I, when I was thinking about this, I tend to have a stronger memory of the role players who burned a team that I was following than standout role players on the teams that I did follow. I remember Rondé Barber <laughs> standing out as a guy who burned the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. I remember Robert Ory, Game 3, against the Sixers in 2001 in the finals going up against the Lakers. I don't know how many people who are listening to us remember some of these instances, but they are etched and infused in my mind. And I think that certainly I, I, I too am going to stick with basketball just because when I was answering this question for myself, I was like, who's the first person you think of? I do think of Robert Ory first. I think of the 2005 NBA Finals when he was with the Spurs and they were going up against the Pistons. Um, just for the sake of this exercise, I went back and I, I tried to look up other big shots of his. And I forgot that when he was with the Rockets in 1995, he had a big three. I think it might have been in the Western Conference Finals to get into the Finals. Um and I'd forgotten about some of the players who were on those Rockets teams too. Sam Cassell. Yep. How about that? Rook, rookie, defeating a rookie or a second year player. Yep. He, it must have been around then because he was on the Rockets team that defeated an injured Doc Rivers New York Knicks team. Yep. Back then, mm -hmm. which is crazy, bringing it all around. Yeah. Could Doc Rivers be considered a role player? He was an All Star. He was an All Star. He was an All Star. But I would say for his entire career, yes, he was a role player. As a starter for the Atlanta Hawks for a majority of his career, but the star on that team clearly was Dominique Wilkins. Uh, there were other players that were very good, Kevin Willis as well. Uh, but I would Dominique was the star. The others were the role players. And you're right, Robert Ory, I thought of him as well. And you bring up the Sacramento Kings shot, uh, the back tap from Vladi Divac, standing at the top of the key, knocked it down. It's a walk-off. The Houston Rockets, Rashid leaving him with the Spurs in the finals uh, when he was with the Spurs. And of course, they were playing the Pistons in that NBA finals when Rashid uh, left to help and left Robert Ory wide open. So, yeah, seven titles, by the way. And it's insane. Uh, yeah, great, great role player there that, again, is talked about even with the type of game that he had and the sh big shots that he's made and the amount of rings that he has picked up over the years that he is also talked about as someone who could possibly be a Hall of Famer is Andre Iguodala. I literally was going to say him next. I was going to say yeah. him next. Like if you're talking about more current modern teams. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I have a super kumbaya thought for you guys. We love those. Isn't everybody really a role player? And it's just a matter of, of how big the role is. I know that that would defeat the purpose of the rest of this conversation, but isn't everybody a role player? I would just simply say um, 
I would say no. I would say no. I think they all play a role together, but the stars are the stars that stand out. And that's the, the definition of what a star and then a superstar are kind of takes you away from what the role players are for what the team does. A lot of times the role players, if you look at it, it may be they'll do the small things. They don't have as big as a role, to your point, as the others, but they have a huge impact on the outcome of the game when it's all said and done, good or bad, but their reputation as that player, their meaning on that team. So that's that's where I would probably lean and say n- no, but I understand where you're coming from as a teammate. Yes, you all play your role. Well, I think, yeah, I think even the person with the lead role still is is in the play. You know what I mean? Um, so I would be willing to go with that definition, but for the purpose of this conversation, I think it would have to be anyone that's not considered the guy at any point um, in their career or their season. Every player, and I agree, has a role to fill, regardless of whether you're the first or the 17th. But I think by definition, you cannot be both a superstar or a star and be a role player. In this sense of the conversation, the role player, I think, also has a little bit more gravitas to him or her, depending on the sport, than the standard bench player. There's a little extra prominence that comes with you being a good role player, uh, perhaps a little bit more respect, gravitas, than just being simply someone who comes off the bench. You can be the person who has a definable skill that you're saying, you know what, I need to stop late in the fourth quarter, so tonight I'm going with Matisse Thibel to end the game against the Sacramento Kings instead of someone else. Or maybe I need an extra scoring punch off the bench, so it's going to be Shake Milton that's going to finish the game amongst the starters tonight. I think those are things where you get into definable skills um, that really defines, at least for how I wanted to look at this as role players, specifically as we start this long-winded segue, which I really enjoyed. I liked polling you guys about those role players, about role players on the 76ers and what they mean to the team, what they need to mean moving forward, because we have spoken so much about what the starters and the stars have done and mean for this team that I think some of the role players on this club, because there are a few, deserve a little credit. So, Devon, why don't you run through, in your mind, who you consider some of the key role players. Just list them, and then we can go to Lauren, um, and then I'll, I'll jump in, and we can see if we can settle upon a group that are defined as the role players, quote-unquote, for the Sixers. Yeah, I'll go, with, uh, I'll go with a few. I'll go with one starter and one bench player, not to steal everyone from you two. I'll go with number one to start off, Seth Curry, as a role player with this team, a, divine, a defined skill, pardon me, with his outside shooting brought in here to, to be that guy to kind of open up the floor for Embiid and Simmons to do their work along with Tobias Harris. So if he's knocking down his shot and you look at his career, the trajectory of his career overall, that is kind of what defines a role player from being a bench guy to also now being a starter and a key contributor as a starter on a team that is a contending team in the NBA right now. I would look at Seth Curry with the way that He has played as a role player, but has had a huge impact in how he really allows them to be what they need to be to allow their their key, their star players, if you will, the superstar players, to be who they are as well with that defined skill of outside shooting that we're talking about. And he's done so many other things that I've seen him do before, but I have to be honest, I wasn't quite sure that he would be able to do that in a starting role. And he has surprised me greatly with how he has been able to perform so far. 
And then I will go with one bench player, and I will go with Dwight Howard with the role that he plays. Former uh, Defensive Player of the Year, multiple-time All-Star, a, a, a NBA finalist, a NBA champion coming from the Los Angeles Lakers, and all those things that we talked about before the Los Angeles Lakers contributor and winning the title, he was the guy. He is a future Hall of Famer. He has now turned himself into a role player. He has turned himself into a teammate that has adjusted to what life is now in the NBA for him from what he used to be to what he is now and has done a key, key job here in town in Philadelphia for not only the team overall, but also with inside the locker room, but Joel Embiid. And he's spoken plenty, and Joel Embiid has talked about it quite a bit, about how much, how important Dwight Howard has been, not only on the floor, but off the floor in the locker room, and just simply talking to him about certain things, continuing to push him out there as an MVP candidate and being the best big in the league. And this is coming from a guy who was the best big in the league for, for quite a few years when he was in his prime. So those are two for me for this 76ers team right now that is uh, really in a good spot in the Eastern Conference and certainly in the entire association. I'm going with Seth Curry and Dwight Howard. I like this model of picking two because there might be a handful of guys we ultimately settle on. So, Lauren, your two are, if you had to pick, they don't have to be starter, bench, whoever, just any two. So to me, I believe there are four more currently. And if I had to pick two... I'll do what Devon did. I'll do a starter and a reserve. I think Danny Green is a role player. And to me, Danny's role is that he can't be ignored on either end. He's a good defender and he's a good offensive player. Leaving him open is a mistake. If you're guarded by him, you're probably irritated. So to me, Danny's role is that he can be in sort of any game situation, early, late, playoffs, regular season, and he can't be ignored and he can be relied upon at least to a certain extent. Is he the best defender on the floor? Probably not. Is he the best offensive player on the floor? Probably not. But he can be relied on on either end of the floor, and I think that's an important role, especially when you do have a team where some players distinctly have offensive strengths or distinctly have defensive strengths. Looking at the bench, I'm going to go with Shake Milton, who's carved out a very specific sixth-man type role. He can come in and and have a 39 or a 32-point performance on any given night, but you can also rely on him to give some level of offensive impact, even on a night where he's not going to play as many minutes or he's not going to be given the ball primarily. So to me, Shake is more of an offensive role player. Again, not really a liability on the defensive end, which is great. That's somewhere that he's been focused on. But to me, Shake is sort of the ultimate offensive role player off the bench where if you need him to go for 30, he can go for 30. But if you don't, you know he can get you 8, 9, 10 productive minutes among a, play, among a roster of players that might have more offensive firepower than even Shake does. The four guys who you mentioned on my list as well, I think there are at least two more, potentially three more, on that list, perhaps depending on circumstances. I think that if we're looking in the current climate and conditions of the team and how the rotation is right now at this very moment through 25 games, I think you have to go, um, of course, with Matisse Thibel because he has really regained the form of the defensive ace perimeter specialist that we saw last year 
especially this current stretch that he's been in. Absolutely fantastic from the work he did on Darren Fox in the opener of the road trip on Tuesday to helping with James Harden the game before that. He's just been really so vital to helping the 76ers clamp down defensively and keep that area intact, especially when Ben Simmons is not on the floor, but also now with Ben on the floor uh, as well at times. And I think another guy who has made a resurgence as of late, who perhaps wasn't getting regular minutes earlier in the season, um, had to overcome an injury. Furkan Korkmaz in the midst of a nice stretch for the Sixers. If you need some perimeter scoring punch, obviously that's what he's being asked to do. He scored in double figures in four out of his last five games. And I think he was, if I'm not mistaken, the first Sixer in off the bench in the game against the Kings uh, on Tuesday. I know that Dwight and Shea came in not too long after that, but still I think noteworthy for Furkan to, uh, to get the first call in off the bench. And then my circumstantial candidate, depending on what the team might need, is a guy who we have not seen as of late, but I think we all know has tremendous potential, and that's the Rook, Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, very excited about him. And you're right, we haven't seen him because the others are starting to pick up their play and, and really kind of define what they mean to this team right now with Furkan Korkmaz coming as the first guy off the bench, as you mentioned, and even with Matisse Thybul. Uh, just looking at the Sacramento Kings in the fourth quarter where he played 11 minutes and some change and did a phenomenal job defensively uh, down the stretch against the likes of De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hield and Tyrese Halliburton who were out there and, and just uh, how good those players were that night. But a lot of that changed because of the role that he plays. And Tyrese Maxey will get his. And we, we know how that goes. There's a number crunch. And when you are good, like this team is, Sometimes those younger players are going to fall a little bit behind, even though we've seen some some nice stretches, some nice bursts of positive play from them. Uh, the the veterans sometimes will take things away, depending on how things are going. I, I think at some point, Doc Rivers will call his number, though, and I wouldn't be surprised if he really steps up to the plate in that moment and is not afraid of what that moment is. We've already seen a 39-point performance out of him uh, when they needed him to start. So... Yeah, I think when it's all said and done, he'll make enough noise in his rookie season that we would uh, look back at and say that guy really has it. We know Tyrese Maxey is a worker and that he certainly is not short on confidence and self-belief. Lauren, I know that you're in all the Zooms. You're talking with players. You're talking with Doc. What's Doc's stance and the team's stance right now on this dynamic, which I think everyone acknowledges, including the main principal person who I'm about to talk about, with Matisse Thibel, where the defense is so elite, where he's leading the league in several key categories despite being a bench player. Yet on the offensive end, we know he's just he's not going to give the Sixers um, the most out of all their options off the bench. But on the other end of the floor, he is so good at what he does Take us inside some of the comments you've heard and these media availabilities on how Doc Rivers is looking at that dynamic with Matisse. Well, the first thing I'll say there, I wanted to just briefly go back to what Devon said about Tyrese. When you're a rookie on a really good team, sometimes it means your minutes are going to suffer and your opportunity is going to suffer. And it's a conversation we had about Matisse last season. We saw these flashes of brilliance and what he could do, but he wasn't necessarily always given the amount of time he might've been given on a weaker team. And I think Tyrese is another example of that on a weaker team. Tyrese could be starting and running up offensive numbers and making all sorts of lists of, of all rookie candidates, but you don't always get those opportunities as a rookie on a good team. But I have a feeling you ask either of them, they'd rather be on a team that's winning and, and have a role of some sort than be, a star on a team that wins 
12 games. So to answer your question, Celts, the spirit around Matisse right now has been really special. I think across the roster, Joel Embiid actually was was giving Matisse shout outs even before this strong stretch that he's had. I think Joel has a lot of respect for what Matisse brings to the floor. And then over the last few games when he's been just on fire with deflections and steals and and locking down really good players in clutch minutes. He's gotten a lot of praise from Doc Rivers, who said that he had to really earn his minutes this season. If you remember, he had an injury in the preseason that kept him out of most of their preseason play and then left him out of the rotation at the beginning of the season. And Doc said he was really impressed with the way that Matisse said, no, I am going to earn my minutes back and I'm going to show you why I'm going to. And then he did just that. So Doc has been impressed with his work ethic. Joel has been impressed with what he brings to the floor. I loved what Ben Simmons said about after the Sacramento game, he says that sometimes he looks at Matisse and he says, hey, it's time to lock up. And the two of them went out there and locked up together. And I like that they have this chemistry now, the two of them being two of really the best defenders in the league. If you want to look at Ben leading the league in deflections per game, Matisse leading the league in deflections per 36 because he plays fewer minutes. Ben, Matisse, both up there in steals in the same categories per game and per 36. It is cool to see that they've developed a little partnership, and it seems like they're having a lot of fun leading the charge on the defensive end late in games. We saw it when they went to that 2-3 zone where the two of them were just lethal, and then we saw it again in Sacramento. So cool to hear Ben give Matisse those types of props. Overall, I think the sentiment surrounding having an elite offensive or an elite defensive weapon among a bunch of offensive weapons is really good. Um, Doc Rivers called him an elite relief pitcher, which is like good to know that you have someone like that in your bullpen at all times. If if your team is struggling with an all-star, with a James Harden, with a LeBron James, guys of different sizes too. You saw him defend De'Aaron Fox, but you also saw him defend LeBron James. And, and the size difference there is, is pretty significant. Matisse is not that big out there and he still manages to give bigger guys problems. So I do think it, the sentiment surrounding Matisse has been great and it's been cool to see him rewarded for the work that he did to claw back into the rotation. And this is why I love working with you guys, because I was thinking the exact same thing with what Ben Simmons had to say about Matisse Thibault after the Sacramento Kings game. He said that and he, that quote was phenomenal about, Hey, let me look at him. I just look at him and it's time to lock up. And let's go out there and do it and lock up together. We have seen whether it's been in, in the zone against the Indiana Pacers and, and, and any other thing. And that was my favorite when they decided that those two guys were just going to simply go out there and be their long rangy athletic selves with their hands moving all the time, their feet always sliding and not committing fouls, but just deflections and turnovers and opportunities, extra opportunities for their team. That was great to hear. Uh, from And we know the relationship even from the rookie season with Tobias Harris and Matisse Thibel. Anyway, so it, it's great again to for him to know his role, be past that injury now, that the ankle injury that slowed him down at the beginning of the season, and be fully in the mix again uh, where with in his rightful position of helping what this team is doing defensively and leading to all these other uh, opportunities offensively, just causing so much trouble. I love it. I was going through my mental... Rolodex of quotes, I guess, trying to come up with all the moments that folks have talked about Matisse. And I'm glad you brought up Tobias because one that I would just add to my existing list was when Tobias, after after the game, um, we just talked about it, the 2-3 zone. Tobias said that Matisse was the zone captain. He was the zone leader. And all of a sudden, all of these elite players are looking to Matisse to be like, okay, yo, like, what do we do? You're the one that knows how to do this lead us through this experience. And it was cool to hear Tobias say that we, that they gave him the keys to really call the shots on the defensive end. And obviously we saw it work out quite well. 
Um, we heard TJ McConnell, we talked about this, the three of us, I believe already yeah. say that it caused them to panic. And that's something that you love to hear an opposing player say about your defense. And that's what he did at the University of Washington, right? He was the defensive player of the year. They played a lot of zone and a lot of the havoc that they caused was really at the hands and the feet of Matisse Thibel with what he was able to do, get himself drafted into the first round. And he ends up on this team right now. And oh, by the way, they do it in the NBA too. So that's, uh, that's the specialty defense in the league. And he is very, very good at it. I asked Matisse about what you just said, Devon, about the haters, I guess, the doubters when he went into the draft saying that he played too much zone in college and that's why he wouldn't be a successful NBA player. I asked him about it right after that Pacers game and he kind of smiled yeah. and he was like, eh, it's ironic. So it must have felt really good to go out there and, and use that elite skill. But also he's now shown he has a body of work of, of over a year that says that he can also play man. He can play any type of defense. Um, and I was I was happy to see him satisfied by that that irony after the after the Pacers game. Mighty good pick by Elton Brand and company a year and a half, two years ago. They knew who their guy was. They went out and got him. And I especially think the way that the roster is being utilized right now, late in games, not necessarily a liability to have him on the score as far as his offense goes, because as long as the team can find a way to get a ball inside of the big guy, he's either going to score or get fouled. So they're going to get points. If they need someone to help shut the opposition down and they're trying to protect the lead, I'm okay with Matisse Thibel being out there on the floor given what he does defensively. Speaking of defense, Shake Milton. If you run down the NBA league leader chart in defensive rating, and this isn't for bench players, this is for everyone, Matisse is number five and Shake is number six. I personally feel like the individual defensive and offensive rating numbers can be a little bit skewed. Um, I think that's more of a stat that you kind of have to look at in terms of combinations of who's playing with who at what point in games. But (laughs) there's still something said for Shake Milton to be top 10 in that category. To me, that means he's doing something right. And I think there was a play in the game against the Kings on Tuesday where Shake really buckled down. This was late in the game got up on Buddy Heald, forced the Kings into a miss, helped lead a break, found Dwight Howard on pick and roll, and I believe it tied the game. A great two-way sequence from Shake. Devon, has he evolved his game? Shake on the defensive end, what have you seen there? I believe he has, and when you are playing with the type of unit that you're playing with, when he does come into the game, and uh, a lot of the times, as you mentioned, number five, Matisse Thibel, six, and Shake Milton, the combination of those two being out there it's it's one of those things that's infectious where you know it's contagious if you will that if matisse i was out there dogging it the way that he's dogging it on defense not in a bad way in a good way where he's out there causing problems shake milton doesn't have a, much of a <laughs> anything to lean on but to also pick up his play there as well the offense is not the issue not saying that the defense is is is, is the issue but it was never really a strength but when you're out there and you see your teammate doing the exact same thing then it picks up your play. Not to mention that if Joel and B comes out and Shake Milton is in there, Dwight Howard is no slouch at the defensive end either with the role that he now plays uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers. So you have seen improvement. And I do remember from time to time, especially during his rookie season, Celso, when he would get a few minutes, that he did struggle. And you could see the frustration in his face towards the end of the season, right before the playoffs. Uh, the coaching Shake Milton could have a a little bit of a role going into that first round. And while the shooting, you could see it developing, the ability to handle the ball and get into the painted area, that was evident. 
defensively, you know, going into the playoffs is what they're really trying to figure out, see if you can handle that moment. And there were there was one particular game where he really struggled. And he, who is who's pretty even keel out there on the court, you could see it after he was beaten a few times that it was really starting to get it. It was on his face. His body language started to change. That's different now. So to your question, long-winded, yes, you can see the improvement of Shake Milton defensively. I'm not saying he's Matisse Thibault, Danny Green either, but he has improved. And you know, even with the scoring, they want you to be at least a, a respectable defender if you're going to get some positive minutes on a team. And again, a team that has looked to be a contender. So far, guys, we've talked in more detail about some bench players for the 76ers who do happen to be role players that we talked about. Shake Milton, Matisse Thibel, but I would be in full agreement with both of you, because you mentioned them, that Seth Curry and Danny Green are role players to a certain extent. And Dwight Howard, he's not a starter, but he is a champion. He is a decorated player, arguably the most decorated player on the team, one of the most still left in the NBA. And I think that the farther along in your career you get, you certainly have to be willing to be a great role player to embrace that notion. And I think that for the 76ers, whether it's Daryl Morey, Elton Brand, the decision makers in the front office, identifying the right veterans with the right makeup to be role players, key. And then it becomes the task of Doc Rivers to paint the vision for that role and get the player to buy in. I feel so far that has come together and has been a reason why the 76ers have enjoyed the success they have. And just to jump in on, on that part and look at Dwight Howard and Danny Green specifically coming off the Lakers championship, but also Danny Green and his Spurs years with what they did coming in with that, still being able to play and contribute says a lot to the young stars that you have on this team that have gotten to a certain point of the postseason second round for Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And to have those types of players who have, been the stars who have been starters who have sacrificed now later in their careers to take less money Dwight Howard to come here to Philadelphia and, and still be a key part of a championship team and try to empower the two players that we just spoke of just speaks volumes and as you mentioned with Elton Brand and Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers highlighting and and finding those players as the one who fits within the culture that they were trying to build and then again, add to what Embiid and Simmons are, not leaving out Tobias Harris. But to do that, they, they hit the right keynotes here when it came to building the team. And so far, so good. I would add about both of those guys that I think you can be a role player in the locker room as well. And I think you alluded to it, Devon, but their experience and, and where they've been and what they've seen and, and what they know about what it takes to win, Danny and Dwight, I mean, are, are huge role players in the locker room and, and on the plane and between point A and point B, talking to players, advising players, helping players get to the point that they've already been to. I think their off-court role is almost as important as their on-court role. Dwight Howard, you guys mentioned him. When you normalize the stats for all NBA players, he's among the best doing at what he's asked to do, which is essentially protect the paint, the rim and rebounding the basketball he's number five in the league in offensive rebounding percentage he's number four in rebounding percentage overall and the guys who are ahead of him in some of those categories are guys who you would totally expect and justifiably are up there guys like Clint Capella Stephen Adams Andre Drummond Enos Kanter and Dwight Howard is right there I mean I think that's that's been the biggest 
part of picking him up is that you just know that the rim-protecting defensive presence, there's not going to be such a considerable drop-off when Joel Embiid is not on the court. Agree. I love the energy that Dwight brings, especially, I mean, obviously on the glass, like you said, he's one of the best in the game right now, but the energy he brings anytime he's on the floor. And of course, he's had some fouling issues. He's had a couple technicals here and there, Just a few. but none... But none for lack of energy and for spark and for enthusiasm and passion. And when you have some more mild-mannered players on your roster in your starting lineup, it is kind of nice to have someone out there that's going to shake it up a little bit and spice it up. I'm not, I'm not joking. It's, it's, it's good to have someone like that that maybe is going to help the other guys get a little bit more edgy. Is that I, all? Listen, I love it. He's never – He's never had one. I know. You're absolutely right. First of all, when Elton Brand acquired Mike Scott in that deal with Tobias Harris, I was thrilled because of the edge that he brings to the floor, not only being able to play basketball and knock down shots, but just being able to have that edge on the floor as well. And Dwight brings a different one where you guys talk about all the great things that he does. And I'm glad you brought that up because I was definitely going to throw something in there that Celts, this category, I don't know about the number one, everything else, and the number two, he is number one in not committing fouls in the NBA. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> he is. I agree. <laughs> I agree. There's probably a couple dozen officials who would agree with you as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I love it. But he's never committed a foul. I can't wait to speak with him because that's the number one question I want to ask. <laughs> What's it going to feel like when you commit your first one after all these years? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, everyone correct. remembers their first. <laughs> yep, everyone. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know, another thing that stands out to me, and we can start to wrap it up on this, when I think of Danny Green, someone asked Doc Rivers to talk about, you know, what he attributes to Danny Green's success, especially with three titles at the NBA level, a championship uh, with North Carolina when he was at the NCAA level. And Doc explained that he feels that, of course, Danny Green's a very good player, all-league defensive player, excellent three-point shooter, but that some guys need to know how to play alongside stars. And everywhere that Danny's been, he has figured out how to play alongside stars, whether it's Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker in San Antonio, Kawhi and Kyle and Serge and Gasol in Toronto, and last year with LeBron, AD, the Lakers, that he seems to totally understand that... He's not the first fiddle, but there's a lot of things that he can do to help fill gaps around some extremely good players. I like that assessment of, of what Danny brings to the table, and that might make him the best role player of all if he knows how to form his own role based on who the stars are and if it can look a little different at every stop based on what's needed. Maybe that's the ultimate role player is, is a sort of role-playing chameleon, and I think Danny definitely brings that to the table. He definitely does. A great skill that he has, of course, with the outside shooting, known as a plus defender in this league. And even as he's gotten older, and he said it himself, that he may not be the same, but the instincts are there. The IQ is there. He knows what to do. And to play with all of these players, from Duncan to LeBron, uh, and the guys that were also in between, and now adding to this team where, look, he has to also look at this opportunity and feel like it's a really good one after being traded from Los Angeles to Oklahoma City in a rebuilding situation, not knowing of what was going to be. And now he's finding himself right back into a place where he's on a potential contending team in the association again and knowing how to do it, knowing what's asked of him 
and knowing that the younger players also understand that they can lean on him and he can provide provide so many uh, wise words, if you will, to um, add to what they need to do on the floor because he just gets it done. I mean, let's not forget that if that Miami thing didn't turn around the way that it did when the Spurs played, he was going to be the MVP of the NBA Finals with Parker, Ginobili, and Duncan on the floor with LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade on the other side. That guy, you know, he's been around for a long time, played in some big games, and has also, as you both pointed out, adjusted his role in a fantastic way and just knowing how to lead and also how to be a leader, uh, you know, a leader in terms of what he needs to do as far as the shot making is on the floor as well. Just to bring this conversation full circle, there was a moment in the Lakers game that I wish fans had been in the building to see along with me. Um, But when you talk about Danny Green's wealth of experience and as you just said, Devon, the way that he can connect with younger players. Matisse was out there guarding LeBron, and they went into a timeout, and you could tell Matisse was, I mean, it's not easy to guard LeBron James. It's not easy to guard the greatest of all time. And Danny pulled him aside, and you could just tell based on their body language that Danny was explaining to Matisse, okay, if he does this, you should do that. If he does this, you're going to do that. If you do this, he's going to do that. And it was a really cool moment to see Danny, who had just played alongside LeBron in his most recent championship run, give that wisdom to a young player that needed it in that moment. It was just cool to watch. It was a very interesting, like elite defender to elite defender passing of the torch type of moment. I'm not trying to make too much out of it, but I think that that moment specifically encapsulates everything we've said about both of those players. And it's cool that they're now having this opportunity to work together. And not only winning last season, but playing against him for so many years. And let's not forget about this started his NBA career really with the Cleveland Cavaliers as an undrafted player on the LeBron James teams way back in the day. And uh, so he's been around this guy for quite some time and and knows quite a bit about not only uh, what he's thinking, not necessarily being able to stop him, but what he's thinking and how to at least try to slow him down a bit, if you will, and passing that information along to his younger teammates. Absolutely. By the way, the second best player of all time. Sorry, just had yeah, to I did that slide in. that in. I slid that in yeah, real I subtle did. there. I heard that. I heard that. <laughs> Agree to that's disagree. Okay. I don't think that's that okay. that's a deep dive for another Friday. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. In a longer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We'll carve out some time. We will. We'll have to upgrade our Zoom package. Not just the 40 minutes. <laughs> no doubt. Last thing for you guys, we should also note that Mike Scott, at some point you would figure, is going to return, a proven veteran in his own right that could help the 76ers. But we know the Sixers want to be out of the Eastern Conference when things are all said and done. They plan to be in the finals. That's what their goal is. From what you guys have seen so far, you don't need to go totally long on this as long as you would like, but from what you guys have seen so far, do the 76ers have the makings of a team with enough depth to get through the first three rounds of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference? Is that a true or false question? It could be. It could be an opinion I'll go. Question. I'll say I think... I think true. I mean, I think what you depend on, though, is is health and consistency because we've seen a few great games from Furkan and a few great games from Shake and a few great games from Matisse. Those, of course, all young players that are still learning and growing. But if those guys can continue and make those streaks into season-long, dependable productivity, 
absolutely you can get through the playoffs with this bench. There's a lot of depth on this team. There are elite skills for players that aren't even getting that much playing time. So I do think as long as, as people stay healthy and as, as their productivity can stay consistent, my answer to that question is yes. As important as they are, as we talk about the role players throughout uh, a majority of this conversation that we've had, I think it ultimately comes down to after seeing this team, a different team, but the two star players in Embiid and Simmons and a, another time with Tobias Harris, I think it all comes down to those two and their growth as the key players, role players, Lauren, as you said, playing their role in this team and elevating their play and ultimately getting them to that that Eastern Conference Finals, that opportunity to advance to the NBA Finals and, and take on the Western Conference representative. Uh, as far as their bench and their depth goes, right now I would say I still believe that there's room for at least a, another piece to add. And if I know anything about Daryl Morey and Elton Brand, as a short time as the general manager with the 76ers making these decisions, I wouldn't be surprised if they did something like that. So I would still say one piece away uh, with this basketball team. But right now, uh, I would say yes, two rounds, and specifically because your two stars got you over the top because they have not done it as of yet. And I think they desperately want to make that next jump as the leaders in the face of the franchise, for sure. I would feel good about the way things are right now. I could see someone like a Shake Milton coming into a playoff game like and stealing it. a hot streak that wins you a game. I could see someone potentially like Furkan if it's the right game and he's feeling it, knocks down a couple big shots. I think you have guys like Dwight and Matisse who can give you what you need defensively in those situations. But we also know that come that time of year, playing time is so different than what we see in the regular season where Doc is playing somewhere maybe between nine or ten guys right now. That number you would figure, as far as meaningful minutes goes, would, would get a little bit shrunk. Um so I think that they could get out of the East. I tend to agree with you, Devon, that um, you would certainly think and know that eyes and ears are open with the front office, keeping an eye on all possibilities that are out there. I'd also say this, that against the Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets, and I know those teams weren't at full strength when the Sixers faced them, I kind of like the way the Sixers' bench is made up more than I like the benches of those teams. Fair. But I agree. I think that uh, if you want to feel really, really good instead of just really good, if you can get some more, it'd be worth kicking tires. Absolutely. All right. Role players. Compelling conversation. Who would have thunk? Got to love them. Got to <laughs> love them. Can't win without them. All right. Great stuff, guys. Thank you, as always. We will deep dive again next Friday. That was fun. Thank you, guys. Wonderful. All right, coming up in the days ahead here on the 76ers Podcast Network main feed, be on the lookout for a new episode of Tom's Talks. We were supposed to have one out a day ago or so, but we had a little bit of a technical snafu. So a new episode of Tom's Talks will be coming your way soon. And also the next installment in our Black History Month Inspirations miniseries, a profile on Danny Green. I'm Brian Seltzer. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya.